0: Hey, City Church, good to see you guys today. Uh, today we're gonna be doing something a little different. So I wanna sort of explain to you what, what's going on. Uh, for, for years, I've been wanting to do a series on mental health, mental illness, and the church's role in it. Uh, and uh, I've, I, as I've considered that, one of, the, one of the issues that I guess, because it's a subject that makes me feel a little bit intimidated, you know, because it's such a serious, important issue And I wanted to make sure that as we addressed this uh, issue as a church, that we also took advantage of other experts in our culture uh, who can help us along the way. And so, one of the desires I had was, like, I knew what tools I could give you as a pastor from the scriptures and Jesus' teachings, but I also wanted somebody who could come who is both a believer in Jesus and a believer in science, and so I was just praying about that and you know, hoping I could find a psychiatrist maybe that could join us. And anyway, so uh, I was uh, meeting with some of my staff over in the Kid City building. And after our meeting was over, we were coming out of the meeting, uh, I think it was a pastor's lunch and learn. And while we were coming out, there was this group of ladies that were in the lobby there and they had gathered there to pray for our church. They, they go around from church to church praying for different churches and uh, one of them is a, a lady that goes here, Joan Perry, and Joan introduced one of the ladies in her prayer group, her name was Bertie Jones, and I found out she was a psychiatrist. She got her training at the UT Health Science Center here in San Antonio, and I found out that she knew my mom, that they've known each other, You know, they worked together for, t- for eight years, and then they've known each other ever since, and you know, I shared with y'all a little bit of my mom's own journey and her struggles with mental illness, and so, uh, I s- struck up a conversation with Dr. Roberta Jones and I invited her to meet with my executive team and we interviewed her, you know, cause I, I want to make sure she wasn't flaky or something, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of my role too. And we found her to be very insightful and very spirit filled and she's a scientist. She's a medical doctor. So, uh, Dr. Jones, uh, is a UT grad. So any Longhorn fans out there? Uh, yeah. And, uh, she is a, a Texas native. Uh, like I said, she got her medical doctorate from the UT Health Science Center here in San Antonio. She has been uh, involved in working in hospital trauma uh, throughout her career. And she's, she's also been a, on church staffs as a Bible teacher. So she sort of has, you know, she has her feet in two worlds. And that's what I thought was impressive about her. So uh, w- without any more uh, introduction, I would like to ask you to, in, uh, to join with me in welcoming... Uh, We call her Birdie, Birdie Jones. Birdie, would you come on out? Thank you, Brent. And and Birdie is a hugger, so, uh, you know, you you know your pastor doesn't hug many people, but I have have to hug Birdie. um, Fair warning. (laughs) All right, so Birdie, why don't you tell us just a little bit of your background, a little bit of your story, so we can get to know you a little better.
1: He said he figured out I wasn't flaky, but I'm not sure, <laughs> you know. I only showed him the good side. I, hi, guys, how are y'all? All right, all right, you're awake, good. Um, hi, my name is Bertie. Please don't call me Dr. Jones, I'm not your doctor. I was born and raised in Houston, and I'm adopted. Um, had kind of an interesting upbringing that I'll fill in a little bit more about that. At that time, had an older brother, Um, And sometimes, though, I didn't know I was supposed to be the youngest. So, you know, uh, firstborn kids are uh, leaders or if we're really honest, we're kind of bossy, you know? Any firstborns out there a little bossy? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I I did that and um, went to Sterling High School in Houston and got my first degree in graphic art and design from UT in Austin. And uh, okay, but I do love football, so I just want you to know I'm always rooting for the last Texas team standing, no matter who they are, right? So anyway, so I did that and uh, worked on staff at a church, did some traveling and preaching uh, both here and abroad, and somewhere in the middle of all of that. Jesus called me to go to medical school. Now, that's a little backwards to me. I thought he was supposed to call doctors to be preachers. And instead, he called this preacher to go to med school and be a doctor. So we're a little backwards, but that's why I said I'm not real sure I'm not flaky.
0: Okay, so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, a part of what you told us is that uh, you know you did go to medical school later in life. It was sort yes. of like a God thing that led you there. Uh, what would you say as you began to expose yourself, so you were, you were a trained Bible teacher mm-hmm. and, and spiritual leader, what were some of the, the insights that you gleaned as you began to train yourself now as a medical doctor and psychiatrist?
1: Yes, and the first thing you need to know is that I did not plan to be a psychiatrist because mm. I wasn't real sure they were real doctors, okay? <laughs> and uh, just like all of you guys, you know, are they real doctors? Yes, yes, we are, actually. Um, So I I really was going to be an emergency room physician, and when I got into, oh my goodness, my first year of medical school, and I heard the psychiatry lectures, I fell in love. It was not a logical decision. It was an emotional slash God decision, and what I discovered is that he could take all that ministry background that I had and expand it and give me the right tools to work with it. For example, if my car is having difficulty and it needs work on its transmission, I don't just lay hands on it and pray. <laughs> I lay hands on it and I pray, and then I take it to Bob Mander down in Holotus and I let him work his magic. Yeah, yeah, we love Bob.
0: <laughs> okay, so so as as a, a believer who is in Jesus, who's also a believer right. in science, Uh, What do you believe are some of the most misunderstood aspects about mental health matters?
1: The most misunderstood item when it comes to mental health is that you wouldn't have any mental health problems if you had enough faith and if you were a good enough person. And that's a pile of malarkey. And you can put in there any word you want. (laughs) Seriously, I would never look at someone who had been in a car wreck with a broken leg and say, well, that was really dumb. What'd you go have a car wreck for? I wouldn't look at my friends who are diabetic and say, well, why do you take your insulin? What's the matter with you? I wouldn't look at someone who has a headache and say, well, just pray and believe God. You know, usually I tell them, oh, we'll pray for you and we'll believe God. And then I hand them an Advil and a Diet Coke because caffeine works wonders on headaches. Okay, so we, in other I didn't words. I did know that. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> oh, listen, yeah, if nothing works for your migraines, get some caffeine in you and it'll help whatever medicine you're on. Um, but the reality is, the reality is, we would not judge anybody else the way we tend to judge mental health issues. But your brain is part of your body too. In fact, if I take your brain out of your body, none of you would be sitting here. It's pretty important. So maybe we should give it the same respect.
0: All right, that's, and, then, and, and what, uh, what is significant uh, for you, I know personally, right. is that I know that you've faced some pretty challenging life experiences that ended up uh, causing you to struggle with some mental health matters yourself. So could you tell us a little bit of that part of your story?
1: Yes, would love to. Um, I grew up in a home that looked perfect on the outside and was a nightmare on the inside. Um, I'm a sexual abuse survivor, Uh, survived that from my uh, older brother for quite a number of years. And You know, if anybody in here, and I don't have to ask because I know it's true, is that one in four people that we know of have experienced sexual abuse in their life. We know that many, many people have experienced depression and other traumatic issues, and I never talked about it because back then, and I know everybody wants to know, how old are you? Well, I tell you so you don't think I'm any older. Okay, so I won't tell you exactly, but I will tell you I have my Medicare card so you can figure it out, okay? Um, But you know, so why didn't you talk about it back then? Well, the same reason we grew up with phrases like, don't hang out your dirty laundry, don't tell everybody your secrets, what happens at home stays at home. And so we had the outside that we projected and the inside that we lived. And the problem with that is that I had no safe place to talk. And God forbid that I would talk because then people would know. And any time we keep things inside, they get covered over with guilt and shame. And just it just goes deeper and deeper. And we go lower and lower and lower. And so I dealt with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I dealt with depression. I dealt with all kinds of things. But nobody ever mentioned that because... We didn't talk about you didn't it. We didn't talk about it.
0: And then what, what complicates the very painful experiences that you faced was that there were some authority figures in, in your life that knew about it. And then yes. so that added other layers, right? Yes,
1: yes. My parents actually did know about it, but they too were raised in a society that said, what? We don't talk about it. If we just pretend like it's not there, it will all go away. And, you know, there are times that people would say, well, boy, if I was a parent in that situation, I would... But I'm not here to judge my parents. My parents made choices based on their own history and what they had survived. And so consequently, um, they made their choices. I dealt with the results of their choices but I was not imprisoned by their choices. So let me say it that way. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and I, I asked Birdie if she'd be willing to share just a little bit of that part of her story because I told her, that, you know, part of the nature, of the kind of church we are, we welcome people with no matter what they've experienced, no matter where they are in their journey, and 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 then we do try to help them find healing. And we just know that we've heard enough of your stories to know that. Uh, many of us have experienced some kind of trauma or abuse in our lives, or we know and love somebody who has. And we do want this to be a healing place. And so when I interviewed uh, Birdie, she talked to us about a journey that, that she's developed to help people move from where you are in your pain to uh, ultimate healing in your life. And so I, I asked if she would unpack that along with the scriptures that guide us along the way. So. Uh, so please talk to us about oh, yeah. that journey.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. One of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, I would love to tell you that, yes, I learned this, this, all of this in medical school. Actually, I didn't. I didn't go to medical school and become a psychiatrist to help myself. I went to therapy to help myself. And uh, here's your plug, Ecumenical Center. Thank you. Because that's where I got my therapy, and that's where the lady saved my life, she and Jesus. So I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, when we first start out in this, we look up one day and we go, you know what? This shouldn't be happening. This is wrong. This should not be happening. And yet our first sense of owning our own history is usually, this shouldn't be happening to me. I'm mad about it, and somebody owes me, and the world better fix it. And as I shared before, if we're waiting for the world to fix things for us, guys, hello, we're going to be waiting a long, long time. The world is not interested in fixing us for us. And usually we're mad and we're driven and we've got that victim mentality and it leaves us powerless to do anything about it. All we are is mad. And as we swirl in the madness, we keep digging the pit deeper, and we go deeper and deeper and deeper. Anybody here ever experienced that? Yeah, and it just, you sink. And I was sinking, and that wasn't good. So the Lord met me, and I met Jesus in a really interesting way. I got down on my knees one day to pray when I was a little kid. I was not raised in a church that even talked about knowing Jesus. And I got down to pray, and instead of my dear God prayer that I was known to pray, I got down on my knees, and I said, Jesus, and Jesus came out of my mouth, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Jesus died for me. Now, if you had asked me, was I born again, I would have said no, because when I asked my dad what born again was, he said, that's what the Baptists do. (laughs) So, So, I was a victim, And I was angry, and I took that anger out on myself. I was very compassionate toward other people, took that anger out on myself, and the Lord gave me a scripture to help get me out of the victim thing, and that was Psalm 2710, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up, and he did. He did. And he helped me begin to recognize, thank you. Yeah, he deserves a clap offering. And he did. He, what he helped me realize was that it didn't matter what happened to me down here. He was going to intervene. And so I moved from being a victim to being a survivor. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's when I start saying... Yeah, bad things happen to me, but I'm not stuck in the prison of it. I can move ahead. I can go somewhere with this. This is not going to define who I am. Well, I can survive a car wreck, but still be in the intensive care unit with tubes everywhere and on a ventilator, and I can't, I'm not much good to anybody, but I survived. Well, then eventually I can begin to get over into rehab and I'm learning to use my limbs again and I'm breathing on my own and then I get out of the hospital and I get better and better and better and I even start going back to the gym and I get stronger and stronger. And there are all those different layers of surviving. And the scripture that the Lord really began to work in my heart on surviving was, Oh Lord, in you I put my trust, please, do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies triumph over me. And you know, we're just drenched in shame as a victim. And if, as we move to survivor, we will hang on to the shame if we're not careful. And so the Lord helped me get over the shame of being where I was. And that became my prayer. Oh, Lord, let me not be ashamed, and his answer to it was to move me from survivor to thriver.
0: So, okay, before you move there, I, I want you to, to follow up on something because I think it's important for those of us maybe who have loved ones okay. who have experienced this kind of challenge, why would a person who has been wronged feel shame? Oh. Like, like, you didn't do the wrong thing. Somebody wronged you.
1: Why, why would you feel shame? Well, in psychiatry, we call it a thing called projection, okay? For example, the images you see on the screen are really not on the screen. They're being projected onto the screen. The real image is in some highfalutin technology thing back there behind that wall, and those guys know what they're doing. The real image is back there. It's being projected here. And when we are wronged, all of that person's shame from the human side And guys, have y'all noticed that there is a devil in the world? Hmm, you think maybe he would want to put some shame on us? Yes. So from the spiritual side, we get all this stuff dumped on us. It's like somebody comes and dumps a pile of mud on your front doorstep, and you didn't do anything to get the mud, but it was put on your doorstep. So we often have shame that really doesn't belong to us, but we embrace it, Because especially as kids, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what to do with that. And so we kind of soak it in, and we become survivors. But where's the focus? Well, the focus is still on me, right? Where's the focus when I'm a victim? Me. Well, when I'm a survivor, where's my focus? It's on me. And then we become thrivers. Then we begin to move out. And you know what? I don't even think about the hospital anymore, and I want to tell you my story. I want to tell you what God did. I want to tell you that I'm free from this stuff. I want to tell you that I'm new and I'm liberated and etc. cetera, et cetera. And the Lord's promise was out of Isaiah 54 where he said, don't be afraid. Or in King James, which is what I grew up with, fear not. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. You will forget the shame of your youth." Wow, I was a thriver, this was awesome. And I can't wait to tell you my story, but who's the sinner? It's still me. I'm the sinner if I'm a victim. I'm the sinner if I'm a survivor. And you know what, even when I'm a thriver, I'm the sinner because I want to tell you my story. It's about me, 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 me. Yeah, right? You know, they never used to worry about double chins as much as they do now. Well, why? Because we're all taking selfies. Hello. (laughs) Me, 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 me. Let it go, guys. I mean, for heaven's sakes, right? So what did the Lord do? He said, oh, no, there's another step. And it's called walk in sacrificial love. Jesus was crucified, and then Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live." you know what? When I embrace Jesus and his death and resurrection, guess who begins to live in me? He does. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? So the excellency of the power is of God and not not of us. So now what do we want? We have the life of Jesus living inside of me. And you know what I'm really more interested in telling you than my story? I want to hear your story. I want to hear your story. Why? Because I'm not about me anymore. I don't, I am not, let me rephrase that. As long as we're a victim and a survivor and a thriver, you know, we are the focus. But when I become a sacrificial lover, Jesus and you become the focus. And when I begin to focus on Jesus and you and how he wants to love on you and bless you, Ah, yes, then I'm really free.
0: So how, okay, so how does that, because that's what's counterintuitive. Yes. When you're feeling pain, you are focused on you. And, and, exactly. And it's, and, and it's understandable, right?
1: And you should be focused on you. Right,
0: right, so, <laughs> so why do you feel like that last step is so important in our journey toward mental health?
1: Oh, it's totally important because if I keep looking, okay, so I've got to quote Colin Powell. Y'all okay if I quote Colin Powell? who said, if you keep driving down the freeway, looking in the rearview mirror, you are going to have a wreck. This is not rocket science. In all of these things, in the victim, survivor, thriver, you still are owned by your history. As long as your history owns you, you will never be free enough to love and sacrifice and truly care about somebody else. Oh, but when you move into being a sacrificial love language with Jesus, guess what? Your history doesn't own you. You own your history.
0: Amen. Amen. And I and what what Bertie did not know is that a part of our strategy here at City Church really fits the journey she described. Because you know, we've talked to you about helping people believe in Jesus, find freedom, which is means you got to get past your, your past. You know what I mean. And that's a part of finding freedom, mm-hmm. and then the ultimate goal is for you to live your purpose. Because when you begin to live your purpose, what God created you to, the way He's wired you to live your purpose, that's when you li- you're living on behalf of others. And it actually, how about if God wired you to where that brings mental health to you when you begin to focus on loving others? And so I was so excited when she explained this journey to us. Now,
1: before we shift gears, let me say something else too. I just really feel this is important. God is not a microwave God. He is not going to rush you through your process. It doesn't matter how long you need to take being a survivor. If... I'm telling you, if you need six months in the hospital, you need six months in the hospital. If you need three weeks in rehab, you need three weeks in rehab. God's not a microwave God trying to rush you through a process so you can hurry up and get there so the rest of us feel comfortable in our own skin. Your process is your process. He will take you through it at your time. Nobody is putting any demands on you, okay? That's
0: great, that's so helpful. So, uh, one of the issues I wanted uh, Bertie to address is for those of us who maybe we're not the ones right now struggling with a mental health issue, but someone we love or a friend is. And so, I asked Bertie if she would talk to us a little bit about what to say and what not to say, because that, honestly, that's been a part of my struggle. Even, yeah. you know, I told about my mom's uh, yeah. mental health issues, and I struggled to know what to say, what not to say. And so, would you, <laughs> would you address that?
1: Yeah. Mom, it's really not that bad. Yes, if we could go ahead and have the overhead on what not to say. Number one, I know exactly how you feel. Number two, why are you depressed? Look at all your blessings. Count all your blessings. And number three, oh, time will heal everything. I mean, doesn't that kind of make you want to go over to the corner and throw up? you know. So let's unpack it a little bit to use Brent's words. Okay, I know exactly how you feel. No, no, you don't. You're not in my skin. You're not in my journey. But I walked through the same thing. Yes, you walked through the same circumstance, but you were not the other person walking through their circumstance. So no, we don't know how each other feels. So we don't want to say that. And Oh, I just love this. We all do this. You know why we do this? We do this because we're uncomfortable and we want to hurry up and fix it, which, by the way, you can't. So just let go of all that insanity. That's craziness, thinking you can fix everything. Let that go. And let's not say anymore, well, why do you feel down? What's the matter with you? Look at your blessings. You have a wonderful family. You've got a great car. You've got a great job. You've got a cute boyfriend. None of that matters I'm telling you because this is an illness with chemical imbalances and you could have just won powerball lottery and the world is still going to be black so please don't say that it just heaps shame on people and secondly time does I'm thirdly excuse me time does not heal all wounds I'm sorry, I've worked a lot with Vietnam vets and trauma survivors, some people who have never been able to speak anything for 60 years. Time did not heal it. Jesus heals and he will give you the correct tools in your toolbox
0: to use. Okay, yeah. so, so that's what not to say. Can you give us some advice on then what can we say when, when we have a loved one or a friend struggling with a mental health matter?
1: Absolutely, and before I tell you what to say, I want everybody to look at me real closely. Do I have your attention? Don't look at that. Now, all of you just looked at that, right? The first thing you have to do before you say any of these things is you have to really care. That's spelled C-A-R-E for those of you who are not sure. You have to truly care. And when you truly care, then you can say, Brent, I really hear you. And you want to look them in the eye because you really care. And you want to engage because you really care. The other thing that you can say is, oh my goodness, that must have been so painful for you. That, how did you ever even get through that? How did you process that? That must have taken a lot of courage. All of the validating, all of, the, all of that. You want to truly care, okay? And then it's perfectly okay to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you, and I'll walk with you through this, yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, a part of what we do wanna do as your church is to equip you and empower you to be an instrument for healing uh, in your own family, in your workplace, and uh, you know, I, I hope these words can help us uh, at least have a better sense of what to say and how to address a person struggling. Yeah. And so uh, what I what I wanted to do was to give Birdie a chance as we're winding down this part of the service to, to share with you anything that she wanted to share from her heart, uh, a word of scripture, whatever. Yeah. And so Birdie yeah. wants you to share whatever okay. you feel like the word uh, placed on your heart.
1: Yeah, first of all, thank you guys so very much for letting me be with you today. I'm very grateful, very grateful for the opportunity. The most important thing I want to leave you with today is a phrase that I wish I could say I came up with, but I did not come up with this. A dear friend of mine, it just kind of rolled out of her mouth one day, and she said, Jesus is not looking for someone to blame. He is looking for someone to redeem. Yes. It just reduces me to tears every time I say it because You know, we come in so many times, and we're angry, and we're frustrated, and we're looking for somebody to blame. But the reality is, if Jesus were looking for someone to blame, he could easily pick any one of us. And he didn't pick any of us to blame. He picked each one of us to redeem. And so, often in our journey, we're afraid, we hurt, we're we're, we've been put down. We've had, my, my mother's favorite thing was this. <sighs> you know, the eye roll and the heave, you know. Yeah, they, and so what happens, we don't feel safe. Well, Jesus wants to leave us with this today. It's out of Matthew eleven twenty eight where he said, Come to me, all of you who labor and you're under this weight, Come to me, and I will give you rest. But he doesn't stop there. He says, take my yoke. And he's from an agricultural time where they plowed with yokes of oxen. Take my yoke upon you. What's he saying? Get in the yoke with me. He's not saying, go do something. He's saying, let's partner together. And it is plowing. If you've ever worked this stuff, it's plowing. And Jesus is saying, get in the yoke with me, partner with me, and let's plow through this together. Let's do this together. And if you'll do that, he says, you will find rest for your soul. So he says he's going to give us rest. Then he says if we'll partner with him, We will find rest for ourselves. Now sometimes people give us a gift and we don't really realize what we have and he knows that. So he says, I'm going to give you the rest and you're going to find it for yourself. He said at the end of that verse, you will find rest for your soul. And Jesus was speaking in a language called Aramaic and when he said that, he used this amazing word. Are you ready? Are you seated? Is your seatbelt buckled? You haven't put seatbelts out here yet. I told you for this service, you hadn't.
0: Not, we're not that kind of church. Oh, wait, I'm
1: sorry. Men, men, he didn't hear, right? No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So, so Jesus said, you will find rest for your soul. And the word there is Psyche. That's where we get our word for psychiatrist, psychologist, psychotherapy, psychodrama, and my very favorite, psychobabble. That's where we get it. What did he say? Come to me. Don't be afraid. Come to me. Partner with me. You will find rest for your mental health, for mental healing, and all those things you think I never even knew about, I called it 2,000 years ago.
0: Amen, amen, yeah. and so, yeah.
1: Amen, amen.
0: And, and so, I do want to speak a word of hope to those of you who maybe, maybe you have been struggling, maybe you're struggling right now. What Birdie spoke to you, I pray that gives you hope that you can find rest in your soul and in your mind. And so, uh, I asked Birdie if she would pray over us as we... Uh, close the service. So, Bertie, just pray whatever the Lord uh, lays on your heart.
1: Lord Jesus, first of all, thank you that you're here. You're not way out there somewhere. You're right here. And you're saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. So, Lord, we say, help our hearts not be afraid today. Help us to know that you understood all of our mental health issues to the point you even put the word in the Gospel of Matthew saying, if we will come, you will give us rest. So, Lord, we come. We ask you to take us from victim through survivor, through thriver, and into walking with you in your great and kind sacrificial love. And we trust you to make these things real to us in your holy name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.